Welcome to On the Journey Conversations. I'm your host, Sandy Wisdom Martin. Today's episode is brought to you by the Christian Women's Leadership Center of Woman's Missionary Union, where God's mission is our passion. Today's guest is Christy Carr. Christy serves as second in command at Woman's Missionary Union in Birmingham, Alabama. She has been with the ministry for 30 years. That's hard to believe, 30 years. Christy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sandy. I'm so happy to be here today. And we are delighted to have you. Christy, a little more than two years ago, you were dropping me off at the front door of our building when your phone rang. It was a nurse from a hospital trying to get in touch with you because she had information about your father. Take us through that phone call. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was um, October the 2nd of 2018. And you're right, my cell phone rang. And unlike most people, if I don't know the number, you know, most people ignore it. I'd not been ignoring any calls for years. So as I got a call and I saw that it was Florence, Alabama, I thought, I don't think I know anybody in Florence, but hello, this is Christy Carr. And I got a call. I can't tell you even the, the woman's name, but she did say, hey, I have some information about your father. Now, I have to tell you that for years I've been anticipating a call about my father. The call I thought that I would receive is, we found your father, or your father passed away. That's what I've been anticipating. And so for her to say, "Um, we have your father, your father is here, and he's very sick. And my response was, oh my goodness. And she misread my response. And she said, did you hear me say that your father is very sick? And I said, oh my, yes, yes, oh yes, yes, I heard that. Wow, did he tell you to call me? And she said, well, it's taken me six days. Six days for him to share with me who his children are, where they are, and I learned that you were in the state of Alabama. He finally said to me this morning, she works at WMU. And she said, I said, oh, I can find her. Finding out your father was hospitalized was difficult, I know. It was also a long answer to prayer because you had not seen nor spoken to your father in 11 years. Why not, Christy? Right. 11 years, it was was very difficult, and it was such a blessing. While my father lived in Birmingham, and so I am the one child, there are four of us. I have two brothers and a sister. They all live in different states with their families, but I saw him more often. Uh, And so it really started back in 2006 when uh, he accompanied us to uh, our niece's graduation in Philadelphia. And he was there. He shared with us. Um, my husband, my brother, and several of us, something that he witnessed. It was some illegal something that he felt that he witnessed there at his condo. And it just consumed him, even in 2006. And we were downplaying it, saying, Daddy, you know what? I I don't think anybody would be after you. And it just consumed every thought. So by 2007, Even in 2006, he didn't come for Christmas, he didn't come for Thanksgiving, which was what he would do every year. He didn't drop by, he stopped calling. And so uh, the last time I saw him was in January of 2007. And I knew there was something that was very different. He called me here at the office, which was unusual. 
and asked if I wanted to go to lunch, and I said, certainly, okay. So I did, I happened to have his Christmas presents in the car. Anyway, we talked and I could tell then there was some marked difference. And looking back at it, I knew that he thought that was the last time I was gonna see him. Because as we talked, I'm trying to help him and saying, hey, Carrie's got an upcoming graduation from high school and we've got piano recitals and we've got this and I'm inviting him to all of these things. And there's just a blank stare almost. And he was like, no, I'm working on some really important things and um, I just need to protect all of you. So that happened in 2007. Now let me, let me go ahead and hasten to say your parents divorced in 1975. So Correct. Uh, he wasn't living with your mother at that time. He was living alone. And in 2007, he, he made this decision and you didn't see him again until 2018. October the 2nd, 2018. When you get this phone call, you find out that your father doesn't have long to live, but you have this opportunity to reconnect with him. I imagine your emotions are off the chart. They are off the chart. I, I couldn't even drive my car to the back of the parking lot. It was just unbelief. It, I remember it, that. It, it was. And I said, I've got to go call my family. I called. I contacted my sister, my brothers, my husband. I'm contacting people and everyone's in disbelief. But I knew that we would get the chance to see him, and what an opportunity. My younger brother decided, he said, I'm, I'm leaving Orlando, I'm driving. My sister and her family said we're leaving Kentucky and driving. And James and I went up there that evening, and what a gift. But I'll have to tell you, um, with really this, this thing that he was dealing with, he would say he was in the cave that he didn't know that his last years would be in a cave. Um, what I was hoping when I went in to see him, I thought, oh my goodness, maybe this is gonna be a great reunion. I, I can't even believe it. And I went in to see him. I said to James, James, stay in the waiting room. I just wanna see him myself. And so I went in the room and the paranoia was there. Hey, Christy, hey, Daddy, hey. He started, I won't go into all of that. He was asking me some questions and it just went into paranoia. And I thought, oh, what are we in for? What are we in for? And But at the same time, I thought this is a gift. But whatever time this is, it's a gift and it's gonna be incredibly difficult. But then at the same time, when I went to get James and I said, James, why don't you come and see daddy? He came in and he said, well, James, if I knew you were here, I'd clean up a little bit more. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So, um, so anyway, that was interesting. I contacted my siblings and I said, I don't know what your expectations are, but don't have any, don't have any. Just know that we can be together and that we can see him and know that this is a gift. Yeah, I know those days were difficult for obvious reasons. You and I have this saying that we share, don't always believe everything you think. And your experiences in the hospital, I remember were compounded because of what you overheard medical professionals mm. say of you and your siblings. Yes, that was so difficult. The, the being together for uh, my siblings and I was wonderful. Seeing my dad was a blessing. It was very difficult. It was incredibly difficult. 
And while I had even talked to a social worker, my sister, my brother, I think, had talked to different ones, not that we felt that we had to state our case, but we wanted them to know we are here for our father and we want whatever's best for him. And you're right, I can remember kind of hall talk. Because the medical staff assumed that, that all the kids abandoned your father. That was the thought that you had abandoned your father and now you're swooping in yes. in his last days yes. to make sure you get what's his. Exactly, exactly. And they were so wrong. And I have to say, you know, a part of me says, Christy, let it go. When my brother Billy came down the hall and he said, they're talking about us. I said, who's talking about us? And so he told me and I, hmm, I just said, mm -mm, no. So I went and I did address it with a young woman. I didn't disclose everything because really it wasn't her business. But I did share with her some facts. She apologized many times. She had even been sharing her opinion with someone else on the phone. And I said, and you're going to be calling those people back. She said, oh, yes, I'm making that call now. And then she came to his room and said, I made the call. I said, thank you. Thank you. Just speak truth. That should be a lesson to us. Don't always believe what you think about someone or about a situation. We jump to assumptions oh, yes. without having all the facts, and it causes hurt. Mm -hmm. It causes tremendous hurt. And I'll say it was difficult at best, but to have that added, and I'll just call it drama, Yeah. to have that added drama was just so unnecessary. And I tell you, we just had to let it go. I'm like, people are going to think what they think. We know, we know the facts, yeah. and we know why we're here, and He is so glad that we are here. Yeah. I'm so glad that He told the nurse to call you and that you had the opportunity to experience those final days because really it was only about a couple weeks that you had with your father, wasn't yes. it? Yes. You know, it was very interesting when we got to the hospital we learned over the next few days several things. He had an oncologist, he had a cardiologist, and it was the oncologist that got my brother and sister together just the next day and said, you all are going to have to make a decision for your father. You know, whether he's going to be in hospice care or whether you're going to do this or this. And I remember my sister saying, sir, we've not seen him for 11 years. And do you have any idea what you're asking us to do. And she said, our father will make a decision. And he said, I'm not sure he's capable. And she said, no, I'm pretty sure he's capable. <laughs> we, will, we will ask him yeah. what he wants. To, what, what he wants. Yeah. And so I remember that evening, and I know my dad was very exhausted. My brother, sister, and I, we sat down with him. And I knew he was tired, but I thought, we have got to know. And so I'm the one that started the conversation. We were all in there and I said, Daddy, the medical staff is telling us that we have to make decisions for you and we don't feel comfortable doing that. You, you need to make decisions for yourself. We're here, we're here to support you. And we need to, to see, we, we want to know what, you, what your desire is. And I said, they're telling us you have 30% of your heart that's functioning and you have a, a huge mass in your lung. And so the prognosis is not good. And up here on this whiteboard, it says nursing home. 
So is that your choice? Because you have, you have options. They have a hospice here. You can go to a hospice in Birmingham. You can go to a nursing home. Or you could come and live with me and James. And he said, I want to live with you. So you have this incredible blessing of seeing your father after 11 years, but you didn't know it would only be for two weeks. No. Mm -mm. So um, he, he was grateful. And he said, yes, if you don't mind, I would like to be with you and James. And I said, that is perfectly fine. And I know myself, I'm a pathetic caregiver. I just, I am, I'm not good. And I know that about myself. James is very good. I am not. Um, but I have a cousin who was a caregiver mm -hmm. and I called her and I said, Pam, please, you know, can you, can you help us out? And she got things in place. And we were told he had probably three to four months. Yeah. And I know that he transitioned from the hospital in Florence to a hospice unit in Birmingham. And your hopes was he would get well enough to come to your house. But the reality was that he didn't. He died there in that hospice facility. He did. And I will say, though, of all the hospice facilities, he felt most comfortable there, mm -hmm. St. Martin's in the Pines, because his sibling, his sister, had been at St. Martin's in the Pines, and he mm -hmm. visited her every week. And so when we all said, Daddy, we're able to get you in St. Martin's in the Pines, and it was actually someone from my church who helped with that, and we were very grateful for that. And he said, oh, I know that place. And when we got him settled, he was even telling me some of the landmarks around. But we really did think it would be just a few days to get him settled, to get our home, you know, arranged mm -hmm. for him, mm -hmm. and thinking he had three to four months to live. So it, it was very difficult. And looking back on it, even though he had... He did have some papers, and he was very specific with one thing, with several things, a will and a letter. Um, he did not have a power of attorney. And so my siblings and I knew that he needed that. So he did sign that when he was in the hospital. And um, looking back, it seems as though once he signed that, he was done. He was done. I remember you saying he that. He was done. And yeah. I had no idea. You know, my brother, my sister and I, we had been there. And even the night before, the doctor, he would usually come about 8 o'clock. And that Monday night, he said, Mr. Self, you are such a great candidate for hospice at home. And James and I were standing there. And he said, that's still the plan. I said, oh, yes, sir, that is still the plan. We are getting, it. We are getting you ready. Mm -hmm. So there was never a doubt in our mind or his mind that that was not the plan, but he made a turn for the worse very quickly. So in the span of two weeks, you find your father that you haven't seen in 11 years. Mm -hmm. You find out that he is about to pass away, maybe three or four months that you think. But within the span of two weeks, you find out all this and he passes away and you're planning a funeral. I can't imagine the roller coaster of emotions yeah, that you must have felt. Us. Yes, for me, for my siblings, for his 10 grandchildren, we were all in this together. And again, I mean, we all have different perspectives. But yeah, most definitely it was 
it was such a blessing and it was so overwhelming at the same time, just so overwhelming. And I have to tell you, going back to those 11 years, even some things that that I experienced, there were many times I was very angry. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe, and I, I can't speak for my siblings, I was angry because I was in the same city. And I'm like, good grief, Daddy, just come over, I'll help you. You know, what? what is the deal here? You know, I have to write you letters? We're in the 21st century. So it was so frustrating. At the same time, over those 11 years, the way that we knew that he was, quote, okay, was because he never missed a wedding anniversary. He never missed a birthday. Any child, any grandchild and sending cards through the sending mail cards yeah, sending not, not oh yes call. you are correct never yeah. a phone call yeah. um, always through the mail and so we would get it usually early and we would even communicate with each other our siblings to say did you get a birthday card from daddy did you get an anniversary yeah. there were only maybe two months out of the year that there are no anniversaries or birthdays yeah. and so it was always oh, we don't know what's going on then when the next birthday would come around we were like yes uh, i heard he's, from him yeah still alive okay great and i want to make clear he thought he was protecting his family he oh, did all of so. this because he thought he was protecting you Yes. Well, we're going to stop there for today. And next week, we will pick up and hear the rest of the story of Christy's journey with her father. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Journey Conversations. 